Welcome to Little Cabin Knits, episode 57, interview with a physician's assistant, her pregnancy journey. Little Cabin Knits is a bi-weekly podcast all about knitting, mental health, advocacy, my pregnancy journey, and life happenings here in the wilds of Alaska with a little bit of yuga sprinkled throughout. I'm your host, Emily, and I'm a knitter, crafter, mental health therapist, explorer of my home state of Alaska. This week's episode contains administration, raise a cuppa, on the couch, on the the shelf, personal skill set, and contemplation corner. So sit back with a cuppa of your choice and let's talk knitting and get into the interview with my good friend, Nancy. administration. Nice and short this week, my friends. Just have a few announcements. Just a reminder that my name is Anders Mill Knits on Instagram and Ravelry. You can find all the show notes on betweenknitsandpearls.com. We have a YouTube channel called Between Knits and Pearls, uh, in which last uh, episode was last week, and I was sort of loopy with pregnancy brain. (laughs) It was pretty interesting. At least I thought so. <laughs> and we had a great earthquake right in the middle of the uh, the recording. It was super cool. Um, if you have a question or a comment or would like to chat with me privately, again, you can message me on Instagram or Ravelry. I'm not really good at responding to messages on Ravelry, but I'm pretty good on Instagram. But you can also private email me at littlecabinknitsak at gmail.com. And the last reminder is our project down along is still going strong. You guys are doing so awesome. And there are so many knit alongs and craft alongs and make alongs out there right now. So double, triple, quadruple dip, my friends. Like if you can if you can enter it into anybody else's um make along or uh knit along, please do. Um, and I think this would actually work really well. The project down along would work really well to double dip into the gravel knits stash down along. I think that would be a really good idea, for instance. Just a reminder, this is going to through May 31st, and we have a plethora of awesome prizes. I'm not going to get into all of them, but you can go back to episode 55 the last time I mentioned all of the prizes, and there are so many. It's so awesome. It's, I don't, I'm just super excited by that. Remember to use the hashtag Project Down Along 2022 on Instagram because that's where I'm pulling all of the prize drawings from, I think. Because nobody said that that would not be a good idea. It seems like everybody's on Instagram, but not everybody's on Ravelry. So for now, unless somebody says that they would prefer that, you know, that they're not on Instagram, that I think that I'm going to be pulling all of the prize drawings from Instagram. And that, my friends, is administration. I forgot to mention in the admin portion today that today is a special episode. I have an interview with my very good friend, Nancy Rabcook who is a physician's assistant and a mother and an expectant mother. And her pregnancy journeys for both of these is 
very special and I wanted I asked her if she would be willing to share her story and she is was very open she's always been very open and to talking about these things and about any life challenges that come her way and so I have uh, a sort it's a sort of a longer episode this week because my interview with Nancy is over an hour long because there was just so much to dive into. So I hope you enjoy that as well. Raise a cuppa. Well, today, my friends, I am lifting a glass to you wherever you are in the world. I am drinking some diet peach tea lemonade from, no, I think it's just diet peach tea from Snapple. I don't think it has any lemonade in it. It doesn't taste like it. (laughs) Um, And it is delicious. I'm really enjoying it. And I felt fancy this morning, so I put it in um, my cup that my husband and well Jeremy and I got for our wedding reception we got ourselves some um two special cups um and I was just feeling fancy this morning and so I thought that I would drink out of my wedding cup as I talk to you guys um my notes for this entire episode somehow got deleted I don't know what I did I must have pushed a wonky button somewhere and I had spent so long on it, and I was like, oh, there's so much detail, it's awesome, and then it disappeared. So in, I did recreate all of my notes for on the couch and on the shelf, well, most of them, I should say. I didn't, you know, I didn't blather on like I did the first time, but I decided not to recreate my notes for Raise a Cuppa and just talk to you guys and tell you what's been going on. Well, it feels like forever since I talked to you guys, but, um, I am now on a modified bed rest. I am allowed to sit up in a recliner to, in order to do my daily job duties for my work, obviously. Um, but I'm not allowed to lift anything above five pounds. Um, and you know, um, every, and, um, they recommended that I not go for walks and um what's what else oh do most of the chores in the house so mr radio or the man formerly known as mr radio <laughs> um has really been picking up the slack he's been making us dinners but sometimes i get really like frustrated with my situation and i'm just like nope i'm making dinner tonight and every time i do i get super exhausted afterwards even though i'm making very simple meals i get really exhausted just from that and then I have to go sit down again um but he's been really helping and doing the laundry and the dishes and vacuuming and he laid the entire floor in the spare bedroom which will now be the nursery and the office and uh now we're just waiting the the office is not done the nursery slash office is not done we have a bassinet now that my sister Amy gave us that um, she used with her last her littlest tyke and uh, it's so cute and so pretty Uh, I need to measure it though because it doesn't have a mattress at the bottom of it so I need to get a mattress for it um 
I and so the the office is pretty messy still. We painted it this beautiful soft yellow, and I repainted the trim and the ceiling uh, a white, and then Mister Radio did the flooring. Now I literally finished painting the day before I I was put on bed rest. It was pretty astounding how that worked out. Um, and the main reason that they put me on bed rest is not because little baby Jimmy's doing badly. In fact, he's doing amazing. Yesterday we had our weekly OB appointment and we did what's called, I think it's called a stress test, where they hook me up to a whole bunch of doodads to measure if I'm having any contractions, to measure his heart rate. And um, I I held a little clicker. So every time he kicks, I push the clicker button and boy, he was kicking a lot during that time. And they were super excited and super encouraged because he it, the the heart rate will show if um, a that if his heart rate is on par with where he's supposed to be in his development, which he's now a week over six months uh, digestion no, you know growing period, <laughs> and also it shows when the heart rate I guess speeds up during this monitorization. It means that my placenta is feeding him nutrients. And they saw, I think it was in the 20 minutes I was hooked up to this machine, they saw over six points of data that showed that my placenta was providing him with nutrients. And so they were extremely excited and everything. So baby Jimmy's doing great. He's amazing. My body, on the other hand, is not taking the pregnancy very well. Uh, my diabetes is just, it's uh, like, I breathe air and my blood sugar either drops completely through the floor or goes really high. And even though I'm working very closely with a nutritionist, we're still really struggling to get me um, at a good place for that. And also my hip went out of joint and so because of the ligaments stretching and everything. And so I am now also in physical therapy and seeing my chiropractor once a week. <sighs> it's a lot. But uh, my father let me borrow his a luxurious recliner. With If you're on Instagram, you will have seen me gushing over it multiple times <laughs> because it is so comfortable. Um, and so my dog Watson and I spend all of our time in this chair, reclining, working on uh, my job. I've also been teaching uh, at my job, doing all my normal duties. Uh, uh, the last two weeks, I've taught over 12 classes, and each one of them was taught from a reclined position in the recliner, which made it very difficult for me to feel, I guess the word is professional, um, I, I felt very awkward. I felt that I wondered if people were quote unquote judging me. And that was not the case at all. My, all of my coworkers were, um, happy to see me and they were all very supportive. Uh, I even talked to my supervisor who attended two of the trainings that I provided. Um, and she was like, yeah, that like, honestly, it didn't even register really that you were in a reclined position because, you were just so um, engaging and your expertise showed through and it just flowed naturally. And I was like, oh, good, because <laughs> I sure wasn't feeling that and I was really embarrassed. But all of this to say, um, 
that this has all caused myself and my husband to return back to basics. Oh, because I'm not, I haven't even mentioned that. So Mr. Radio is, uh, has just literally finished his third, third week, I think, of his new job with the municipality. And he is doing really well there and really happy and remains excited about everything. And lucky duck, he gets a three-day weekend uh, this weekend because uh, Monday is Seward's Day, which I could tell you all about what that is, but that's a, that's a local holiday. So I don't get that day off, but he gets that day off, and he's like, I'm not doing anything this weekend. I said, well, we have chores, and we need to go grocery shopping. And I would really like to go to Tidal Wave, which is our used bookstore, because I've kind of run out of books to read. <laughs> Because that's what I've been doing. I've been reading and knitting and working all from my chair. That's that's about it. And I think I've read four books in the last two weeks. Um, and it's been really wonderful. And I've gone back. I feel like I've just gone back to basics. Like anything that's extra, we um, just say, well, we don't need to do that right now. Or that's not a priority right now. Right now, we need to just concentrate on this. And, you know, at once it's been both um, uplifting, but also kind of makes me feel a little antsy. There's been multiple nights where I've told my husband that I, I just, I want to go for a walk so bad. Like, I'm just so antsy. My legs um, are just itching to get out and walk. And unfortunately, that's just not possible for us right now. Um, I was hoping that they would take me off bed rest when I saw my OB yesterday. But while she was really excited and uh, impressed with my progress, she felt that two weeks of progress was not like uh, she wanted me to be stable, not to just see progress, but stable, if that makes sense. So we're continuing with that. And, you know, I just, it's really nice to feel the support of everybody. Um, uh, as far as the family front goes, uh, thankfully, no more deaths in the family. So that's been a, a blessing. My dad, who you might have remembered at, at, uh, on Christmas Eve, went into cardiac arrest and, and had to be emergency uh, transferred to a hospital in Alabama and had multiple surgeries over the following week um, for his heart. Well, even though he's vaccinated, he got COVID. And it was it was not the greatest. My mom was pretty worried about him and ended up taking him into the hospital again. But this time they're now in Oregon because they're traveling around. And um, in Oregon, they put him on antibodies and kept him overnight. And my mom was able to stay with him which this that was amazing like they didn't isolate my dad even though my dad had covid but my mom is also vaccinated um so my mom was able to stay with him the whole time he was on it and, he, and now here we are i think it's 3 days later and my dad is doing fantastic he is very tired very weak um he's i think he still doesn't have his taste but he is doing better to the point that my mom felt that because my dad is like me he's a walker he I'm, or I'm like my dad we love to go for walks and my dad walks every day 
And so my mom felt that it would be okay if she took him to a local park because then she could still isolate him away from other people, but he could walk, you know, as far as he felt he was able and then sit down on either a bench or wherever they, what they had, rest, and then walk back to their motorhome, which is exactly what they did. They had a wonderful time. Um, and even though he was really tired afterwards, he was able to recuperate. So my family is feeling really positive about this. We were first very scared because, you know, he's he's very fragile right now, even though he's a big bear of a man. He never looks like he's fragile. <laughs> but we just want we want him to be safe and cared for. And it's hard to do that when they are so far away from us um, and out there, you know, just wandering around as they do. But they're enjoying their retirement. And I think that that is a beautiful thing. And I am so grateful that they are doing that because they so richly deserve it. They have sacrificed um, more than I could ever explain as far as the we- for the welfare of their six children and building a life here in Alaska. They, they sacrificed so much and waited so long to have this opportunity. Um, they're both in their 70s and they've only been retired about two years now. So you know, they waited a long time for this and they deserve every blissful moment that they can have. And so I'm really happy that they're doing this, but I'm also nervous and I wish they were here so that we could all take care of my dad. (laughs) But that's really what's been going on. So life is just going back to basics, honestly, like just focusing on what's important and what's important for us right now is making sure that little Jimmy is um, safe and sound in my belly and that my body continues to heal and um, is able to continue to carry him to full term. And that's really what's important. So, so that, my friends, is raise a cuppa. On the couch. Well, I have broken out the Jelly Roll Blanket at, by Kay Jones. and the, Well, the pattern is by Kay Jones of the Bakery Bears YouTube channel. Um, I broke it back out after, I think I didn't knit on it for almost a month. Um, and then um, I was listening to um, an audiobook and I just didn't want anything technical in my fingers on my fingers on my needles (laughs) and so I broke it back out and I have been going gangbusters on my jelly roll blanket I finished my gray stripe and then I put put in a purple stripe next to my gray stripe a varying uh the purple obviously being a varying um uh scraps and mini skeins And then I wanted to put in a red stripe. Even though I don't like the color red, I recognize that most people do. And my son probably will because his father really loves the color red. Um, So I put in, I turned the blanket around and on the opposite side away from the purple stripe, I put in a red stripe next to the brown stripe. And so currently I have 10 rows, I think. Let me just make sure. I've got red, brown, green, pink, 
blue, yellow, gray, and purple. So that's eight stripes actually. And each of the stripes are 3.5 inches wide and currently um, 39, well, they're all, uh, the whole blanket itself is 39 inches long. And so that equals 29 inches by 39 inches. And so I laid, I was wondering about this. I was like, okay, so should I be done? Because technically this blanket currently is now well over um, a typical baby blanket. So just so you know, I looked all this up. Um, a typical security size blanket, my goodness, they have so many names for different blanket sizes, by the way. But a security size blanket is 14 inches by 16 to 17 inches long, while a crib size blanket is 30 inches by 35 inches. And then they have what's called a receiving blanket, which I think is the same as a, a what they're calling a stroller size as well. I could be wrong. I saw very different things all over the internet. Um, but a receiving blanket is usually 40 inches by 40 inches. And so with that in mind, I was looking at what I had. And remember, with eight stripes, my blanket was 29 inches by 39 inches. So it was just kind of in this weird stage of dimensions. So I laid it out on the bed and I had Mr. Radio look at it and I was like, what do you think? Um, should I leave it as is or should we add more? And uh, we both decided that it what would be really cool is if I broke out all of my self-striping um, uh, leftover yarns and added in a stripe on each side of the blanket uh, of all the uh, of all my different self-striping yarn so not following any kind of color theme at all for these stripes um, or strips whatever we want to call them or rows even I don't know what you want to call them but just like breaking out all of my self-striping yarn which I have a lot of especially the leftovers and just adding them in and and what I've discovered so I'm halfway through my my first uh, self-striping strip or row or whatever. <laughs> and what I'm loving is how the, the self-striping yarn of the various different colors is bringing all of the colors of the blanket together to make a cohesive whole. And I love that. So I'm super excited that we decided to do that. So with these two extra... Um, self-striping strips we will end up with 10 strips of 3.5 inches each which will give me won't that give me 30 inches and 30.5 uh, inches at the end as far as width I think and then on top of that what I decided to do was <clears throat> I kind of just wanted to add some kind of edging to the blanket in crochet and so I was looking on Ravelry at the different crochet options or edging options for blankets. And I kept running across this woman called Edie Ekman. And her name sounds super familiar. Um, I think she's been published quite a few times in magazines. Um, and she does have a book which I picked up. I have in my hot little hands right now. Uh, it's called Every Which Way Crochet Borders, 139 Patterns for Customized Edgings. Um, and that's by Edie Ekman. And 
I I was really enjoying all of her borders that I saw in Ravelry, but she none of the patterns themselves were actually listed. You had to buy the book. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I've got at least four blankets on my needles right now. I think I can splurge on, on this book. And so I did, and I got it in the mail yesterday, and I have been perusing through the pages, at, and I'm loving all, like, they are, they're they're just beautiful and all over the place. There's fringe blankets. There's I mean edging. There's lace edging. There's shell borders. There's um, simple crochet borders. There's I don't know what I would call them. I mean there's this one I'm looking at right now that looks like green vines. Um, over uh, that is overlaid by pink vines. Like as in like looks like almost a trellis. You know. Uh, as far as like uh, flowers growing on a trellis. And it's just so beautiful. All these different um, designs she's got there. But it's not just that. She, at the beginning of the book, she really dives into a lot of information. She talks about um, combining borders techniques and the power of swatching. Um, choosing color for base rounds versus... Uh, and then also working your base round to create to make it into a to make it into a round and what that looks like turning corners and how to increase and oh she even talks about stitching directly into fleece which of course you know that's a big thing there lots of people go and buy fleece uh, fabric on Black Friday from Joann's and then they make blankets out of that so that's a thing too she even talks about working with woven fabric um, and and then how to make sure that your blanket will lay flat, that there won't be any rippling effects. Um, and what I also found really uh, inspiring is she gives all of her patterns in here, she gives it written out in line-by-line -line instructions, but she also gives you the chart now, I've seen crocheted charts a lot, and they've always intimidated me. I don't understand them at all. Well, she goes into the description of uh, how to read a chart and what each of the symbols mean, and I just, I'm so excited to try this. I think I really want to try doing the edging by reading the chart that she has for whichever one I choose to do. Currently, right now, I'm thinking of the edging for the blanket to be in a undyed fingering weight yarn that I have from a mill in Washington. And at the moment, I feel like that would be the best. I like that idea the best because I don't want to choose one of the colors from the blanket and make it the dominant color. Like, I want all of the colors to have their own special place in the blanket. And so I felt like white would kind of um, um, balance all those things out. But then I'm also super worried that it'll look really strange to have a white border with all of this color going on on the inside. <laughs> so I don't know. I haven't decided yet. And I'm still working on the blanket uh, on the, on the self-striping stripes. So I've got time to figure that out. And I might just go ahead and swatch a little. Just play around a little to see how how things look in the end. 
So that's my Jelly Roll Blanket by K.F. Jones. Next on my little fingers is The Heart of the Forest Mitts by Sophia Camaborn. And Sophia has her own YouTube channel and it is beautiful. I, it's like so beautiful. And um, so I am knitting this these mittens with as an unofficial knit along with uh, my knitting bestie Stephanie and I am knitting mine with Knit Picks Brava Sport. Now Brava is a 100% premium acrylic yarn and I'm knitting it in Cream Eggplant which is a deep purple and Hunter which is Hunter Green and I'm knitting this on US size 2 needles. And I'm really enjoying it. I haven't worked on it at all this week because I've been so engrossed. In, actually, I haven't. Well, I have knit some th other things this week. But um, I've been really, like, hyper-focused on my jelly roll blanket because it's just been bringing me so much joy. And I'm so excited by it. I'm almost a little sad to see the jelly roll blanket come to an end. So I think one of the things that I'm doing is trying to figure out ways to prolong this whole process. And at the same time, I want it to end because then it'll mean that my baby's baby blanket is done and it'll be here when it gets here, <laughs> you know? Um, but as for the heart of the forest mitts, it's absolutely gorgeous. I did my wrist, uh, the wrist band in the deep purple and then the color work for the mitten is a, um, rows upon rows of beautiful evergreen trees in various designs. And so that is being knit with the cream as the background and the hunter green as the, the trees. And I'm at the point now where I am increasing for the thumb gusset and I'm just super excited. Um, you know, Stephanie is much further along than I am, but I'm, I'm just really content. I've got so many things on my needles and so many opportunities to knit on things that, um, it's hard sometimes to say I'm going to choose this project over the other project right now anyway, because I'm just so excited about everything. Speaking of which, another project I've got on my needles is my Ziggy Blanket by Wool and Honey. And you can only find this pattern on the Wool and Honey website, like I said last episode. I did buy this pattern um, as a kit from Wool and Honey. So it came with all of the yarn for it and the pattern. And the yarn I'm using, well, that came with the kit, obviously, is the Big Bad Wool Company in we, the Wee Packa Base. And now this base is 50% is fine washable wool and 50% baby alpaca. And it is so gorgeous. Each of the skeins comes with 95 yards in them. And I think, I think this is called, this is a DK, yeah, this is a DK weight yarn. Um, and so I got the following colors. Um, I got mustard, leaf, minty, raw white, Ashes, Water, Wink, and Great Lakes. And I'm currently still, uh, I finished the mustard color and I'm more than halfway through the leaf color, but I haven't picked up this, this blanket in, again, over a week because of the reasons I've already mentioned. Um, I'm not in any big hurry to get this baby blanket done because this is, a, this is like a special add-on baby blanket. 
Um, my, my big goal is to have the, has always been to have the jelly roll blanket be my baby's main baby blanket. So that takes top priority. And, but I am super excited by this one. I think the colors are gorgeous. The yarn is luxurious. The pattern is easy to memorize and to work on. It's just, <clears throat> it's a dream project, honestly. Now, you don't have to get this project from, uh, or this pattern from Wool and Honey. Like I mentioned, I did knit a, another baby blanket back in October for a friend of mine. And uh, I used the pattern Chevron Baby Blanket, which is a free pattern on Ravelry. And to tell you the truth, it's pretty much the exact same pattern as the Ziggy Blanket from Wool and Honey. So... There's a lot of chevron baby blanket patterns out there as well, all on Ravelry or Etsy or Instagram. So, you know, you got you have lots to choose from there. So if if you're interested in knitting that, you know, that blanket or that pattern, I highly suggest it. You know, I have been thinking that it would be really awesome to knit this chevron um pattern as a cowl. And I'm pretty darn sure there's got to be at least a hundred patterns out there for a chevron cowl. But I'm not going to guess that on because I have my priorities. And as we've already said, I'm going back to basics. The last thing that I have on the needles is the Little Sisters Romper by Petite Knits. And I am knitting this um, on my own hand-dyed fingering weight in the colorway of Starfall. And I'm using 2.5 uh, U.S. needles. <clears throat> Need to pause for a drink here. Um, <clears throat> I haven't knit any further on this since when we recorded for the Between Knits and Pearls episode. Because this, this romper is knit from the bottom up. And so what you do is... Um, at the bottom of the romper, there there is a um, sort of a bum placket, and it's uh, and there's buttons inserted uh, into it as well, so that if you need to change the baby's diaper, you can just undo the buttons, roll the romper up a little bit, and Bob's your uncle. You can change the diaper. So because of that, the construction is is that you knit the front of the placket and then the bum side of the placket and then you join them in the round and I the the front and the back were super easy to do really easy to understand and then I was joining it in the round and I just kept on messing up I had to continuously I think I ripped out um not the entire project but I did rip out every time that I had done the joining in the round I think I did that like four times and so currently the um little sister's romper is in quote-unquote time out because I just kept on getting so frustrated with it but I do really want this and I'm gonna cast it on as well I mean not cast it on but pick it back up because I absolutely love petite knits she has a very different style of writing up her patterns uh she does it more in paragraph form rather than row by row and that can be a little confusing for people I think and uh, and that might be where I my hang up is on this pattern like I, I feel like I'm struggling with 
the directions for joining in the round because she is writing it in paragraph form. If she just simplified it and just said, you know, knit this, cast on this, knit this, cast on that. And now Bob's your uncle, you're in the round. Maybe I would get it better. So I might need to go back and rewrite this little section of her pattern um, just so that I can actually get over my little hump. But that is on the couch. On the shelf. Well, I have a bunch of little bitty things done this week. Um, I have knit up uh, or crocheted up a series of what, based off of the pattern Peace to Ukraine Flags, uh, by a Ukrainian designer that you can find on Etsy. And I have her pattern linked in the show notes for you as well. Um, and I used Aunt Lydia's crochet thread in colorways Maze, which is a yellow, um, and Dark Royal, which is a deep blue. And I'm using probably the smallest crochet hook I have ever used in my life. It is a 1.75 millimeter crochet hook. And... Um, this pattern is absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. It's also pretty darn complicated <laughs> for a flag. And I just wasn't understanding it. Now, um, the lady who wrote this pattern wrote it uh, with the, in, the, with, in chart form. And, but she did give quite a few notes as f in um, written out form as well. Uh, and I just wasn't getting it. And it's not the pattern's fault. It's totally my fault. I'm, I am completely a crocheter with a lowercase c. Uh, and so I can do simple things. I can even make on occasion a, you know, little an a stuffed animal or, uh, or softy or whatever they call them. Um, but when we're getting into the more complicated designs, um, it's not my forte. And she's got quite a few of them in there to make this flag look like it's blowing in the wind. Like it's got this beautiful ruffle effect to it. It still lays flat, but it's got this beautiful ruffle effect to it. And I just wasn't getting it. So what I ended up doing was taking her basic cast on number and uh, just kind of creating my own flag from her cast on number and using some of her basic stitches that she has in the pattern. And I've, I've crocheted up three of them so far, um, and I am going to soak them, pin them out, and I need to go buy, I think it's called something, uh, some starch or something like that to make it a little stiffer because what I'm doing is I'm giving it um, these Ukraine flags, crocheted flags to all my friends and family that want them so that they can use like a bobby pin or something and pin it to their coats or their shirts or sweaters that they're wearing to show solidarity for the Ukrainian um, efforts. Um, my company, Catholic Social Services, we're holding a candlelight vigil in two weeks for, or maybe it's next week, might be even be next week now, for the, the war, uh, for the Ukrainian people. We have quite a large number of Ukrainians that live here in Alaska, but also that work for us at Catholic Social Services. We have, I think, 10 people that are officially Ukrainian. Like, they're, 
they came to us as refugees um, and then we ended up hiring them as well and uh, they're just absolutely beautiful individuals and I've talked to you last time about how my brother-in-law is Ukrainian and we still his family his parents and his brother are still back in the Ukraine um, and striving to keep everyone's you know to keep themselves safe and and do their their duty to Ukraine and so we're holding a candlelight vigil so my goal is I would like to have at least 15 more flags to bring to the Ukrainian to the flag to the candlelight vigil and that's on top of the flags that I'm crocheting for my family so I think in the next few days I need to crochet up at least 21 flags but one flag honestly really only takes about a half an hour it's super quick um but I do need to get going on that so my goal today is to actually really buckle down and work on that but I do have three of them done and they are really pretty well two of the three are really pretty <laughs> one not so much but, you know, I, I went a little off, too far off book on, on one of them. But still, it's lovely. And uh, I left a message to her, to the Ukrainian designer about my difficulty with it. And she immediately responded on Etsy and was just talking through things with me and really encouraging me. And I was just, oh, it just made me so happy uh, to talk to her. And uh, we talked about her being safe and things like that and and she is safe and 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 uh, I won't get into her details or anything cuz I didn't ask permission to but I did buy a lot of Ukrainian um patterns from Etsy and I'm I'm just super excited to have supported these individuals you know and on top of us donating to um different organizations that we donate to like uh I donate to Be Strong um, I've donated to our local refugee uh, campaign um, and others that I just won't mention at the moment. But uh, yes, so there's a lot of organizations out there striving to help. Speaking of Ukrainian um, designs, I also knit up the Friedenstub. I, I need to ask my brother-in-law how to say this. I actually think... I. I think this is a German name. So I think actually my sister, who is fluent in German, needs to help me with this pronunciation. But um, it's also called the Dove of Peace. And it's a free pattern on Ravelry. And it is fingerless mitts. And it is knit in three colors of yellow, white, and dark blue. And on one side of the mitt you have a dove and that you work into it and this is this is done with stranded uh knitting and on the other side of the glove on the palm of the glove you have a series of stars that you knit in and uh it's supposed to be done in dk weight on us size 2 and 3 needles um, I could, I don't have those colors in Anchorage in DK weight anywhere. Um, so I ended up buying, uh, the loops and threads impeccable in yarn in the worsted base in those colors, but I kept my needle sizes the same and, and knit up, 
a pair of these mittens for my brother-in-law who is Ukrainian. I started another pair on this, but I've messed up royally on this one, which is so funny because you would think after knitting up a pair and then starting a third, you, you would have it down. I don't know what I did. I don't know. But um, I was knitting this one for uh, my brother. Um, so I've got my brother's husband and then, of course, my brother. And I was knitting those up for them. And so I need to rip that out and start over. But there is one change that I made to the pattern. I didn't do the actual thumb that the pattern calls for. I just ended up casting off, I think I cast off six stitches and then cast back on six stitches to make a thumb hole in the pad in the pattern for the on the palm area. And that's worked out really well. And you know, these these gloves aren't meant to be to keep you warm or anything like that. They're meant to show solidarity and to bring awareness. And so I felt like that would be appropriate. And plus, it's been super warm here. I think today it's going to get up to low 40s. So I think spring has finally arrived. It doesn't mean that we won't have another big snowfall. But because uh, we usually do. We have about four or five false spring starts every winter, it feels like. <laughs> before we actually get spring. But... um. Uh, but we, yes, so that one is done for my brother-in-law. And then finally, another pattern that I got off of Etsy. This is not by a Ukrainian designer, but, you know, looking up these patterns uh, for Ukrainian designers, I also started to just wonder to myself what what other patterns were out there. And of course, you know, I'm very baby-centric right now. And a couple of the things that I've been wanting to knit uh, for baby is baby mitts. And I also want a couple other options around either a baby sweater or another romper for my baby. And so I just kind of just looked up baby knitting. Wait, I think I put in the search engine baby knit patterns or something like that knit baby patterns, something, something along that line. And oh my goodness, so much came up and I was just flabbergasted and they were all so adorable. I just, oh my gosh, it was very hard for me to hold back. I bought two patterns. I, oh, and uh, um, a, a diaper cover. I really wanted to buy, knit a diaper cover. So I bought um, a mitten pattern and a diaper cover pattern off of Etsy. And the the mitten pattern, actually, I discovered is also on Ravelry with the same name. So you can get it either place. Um, and the pattern is called Libby's Baby Munchkin Knits by Martha McCohen. That's M-C-K-E-O-N. And it's knit in DK weight and the uh, on U.S. size six needles. Again... <laughs> I actually I actually have remembered that I do have some DK weight yarn because I have leftover yarn from my wedding sweaters that I knit. I had totally forgotten that I have those. Um, so I am finally going to knit the baby some mittens out of the actual yarn that this pattern calls for. But <clears throat> I really wanted to knit these right away. So I broke out 
um, my uh, a mini skein that I got from Knit Picks in there. Well, it's called Brava Minis in the worsted weight. And this skein has, let's see. It's not really actually telling me. Oh, there it is. 54 yards and, uh, and in 25 grams. <coughs> and I bought a whole bunch of these minis in different colors. Um, a little bit ago when they had a big sale on, on knit picks. And so this one that I pulled out to knit him, to knit my very first pair of, uh, mittens is the colorway Marina. And so I knit these up using the U S size six needles and the cuff is a knit in the round garter stitch. And then the mitten itself is in stocking net. And each mitten took me less than 30 min minutes to knit up. A very simple pattern, but also just absolutely lovely and very well written. Now, because I knit my first pair of mittens in worsted weight, I was looking at them when they were done. And I was like, oh, these are a little big. Uh, they're, my, they're probably going to be too big for my newborn. And I do need a newborn size. So then I just decided to pull out the cream color of the Brava Sport that I am using for my Heart of the Forest mitts. And I knit a second pair in that cream. I really love the size of the Sport weight, uh, how that came out. I really feel like that's more of a newborn size, where the worsted weight is probably more of a six-month size. So I'm curious to see what will happen when I actually knit up um, a pair of mittens in the actual DK weight size, which is my next project to do. So I've got two pairs of mittens, one in sport weight cream and one in worsted weight marina color. And they are just so cute. They are just sitting right by my chair here. And I just, I look over at them and I just keep on picturing us putting my, our little baby's hands inside the mittens. And uh, just, I don't know, I just... For some reason, that just makes my heart and tummy glow. So that is what is on the shelf. All right, personal skill set. So today, my friends, I am interviewing my good friend, Nancy Rabcook. Nancy's been a good friend for over 20 years, which looking back on that, Nancy, I'm like, seriously, my gosh, <laughs> um, we sort of grew up together in our 20s. We learning what it meant to be grownups with grownup responsibilities. We both bought our first homes the same year as single women, and we felt very grown up at the same time. The process was not an easy one to manage. We went through a lot of self-discovery together around relationships, owning home, building careers, then major career changes, and our personal faith. We leaned on each other through heartbreak, venturing out into unknown territories of career changes, myself pursuing a master's in clinical counseling, and Nancy pursuing a degree as a physician's assistant after many years where both of us were well-established in our then careers where we were. Uh, we grappled with spiritual pain and insecurity and chose alternate paths that neither of us had ever even thought were possible. We even married on the same day, though thousands of miles apart and to vastly different men. 
My first marriage ended very quickly within a year and a half, divorcing my first husband only to find my true love waiting for me back home in Alaska. And meanwhile, Nancy's marriage remains strong through the many challenges that they have faced. And boy, howdy, they've faced some challenges. (laughs) (laughs) Throughout it all, we've remained strong and steadfast friends, trusting in each other and encouraging each other to never settle or give up on the uh, uh, up when those challenges um, presented themselves. And though we still live thousands of miles apart, she always feels near throughout this deep connection. So Nancy has a very unique and inspiring story to share around her journey to motherhood. And currently Nancy is pregnant with her second child and is exactly one week ahead of me on that journey. And she is currently building a strong practice as a physician's assistant in the lower 48 as a full-time mother and wife. And so we want to welcome Nancy and give you space to tell your remarkable story, which I can't wait for uh, for you to share all of that. (laughs) Wow. Thanks, Emily. What an introduction. Who's this lady you're talking about? (laughs) Oh, she's just kind of amazing. (laughs) She's my hero. It's totally oh. off subject already, but I'm just remembering that um, that uh, trip we made when I was living in Oregon. You came and we went camping. Yeah, to Crater yeah. Lake National Park. So. Yep. And how I could, I felt like I could never breathe. We were so high up. At least yeah. it felt like it to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it was cold. We were we camped and froze. I think. Yep. Exactly. And <laughs> and even then, you know. Uh, we we had some really deep conversations about our different life trajectories. I think I had just gotten engaged. Was that right? Or I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were both just feeling the waters, and we didn't know what life was going to bring us. But um, vastly different stories, that's for sure. Yeah, that's been that was about five years ago, I think. Five yeah. and a half years ago, and a, a lot has changed for both of us in that time yeah. frame. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't want to, you've told me that nothing is off limits. So I just kind of wanted to give you space to tell your story from whatever point in time you want to start about how my main thing is, is like, I I want people to hear about um, the miracle of birth that is your current daughter, um, well, your daughter Denali, but also um, your soon to be born uh uh, well, you're soon to be born, uh, child. I didn't know if you wanted to know, wanted people to know if it was oh, male or female. It's fine. He's a, yeah, he's a boy. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Well, that is a very open, um, I know. invitation and I am happy to share. So, um, <clears throat> as Emily said, my husband, Kevin and I, we got married, um, in 2016, I was in the middle of PA school. I had been um, sent to California for Central Coast, California for my second year of PA training. And this was going to be my clinical year. So I did the full year out there mm-hmm. and somehow decided that three months into that clinical year would be a great time to get married when I was like living away from my husband <laughs> and was going to be spending the next nine months of our marriage not in the same state with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So> that, was, <laughs> that was a pretty stressful time. Um, but the timing worked out well for us. And um, 
you know, when I look back, I'm glad that I don't have to live through that year again, but there was certainly a lot of growth and mm-hmm. um, kind of self-discovery and strength that I found out that I had during that process. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time that I got married, I was 35. So I knew I wanted to start a family and, you know, from a medical standpoint or a reproductive health standpoint, 35 is where, you know, you start now old. to be, yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're, <laughs> your ovaries are not the healthiest they've ever been. Um, and so, you know, egg quality starts to diminish in mm-hmm. the 30s, but specifically more so after 35. Um, and so I knew that this timing was kind of unique and that, you know, we're not going to want to just give this a long time to see how things work. Well, mm-hmm. um, various things went on. Um, I knew that my body wasn't working like it should uh, from a reproductive standpoint. I was not having mm-hmm. regular periods at this point. And so mm. it didn't take long for me to go in and get checked out and, and kind of do some hormone checks and, Mm -hmm. and talk with an OBGYN and just say like, Hey, I don't think things are working right. And can we do some testing? Sure enough. Um, I was, we had been married about two months when I got the diagnosis of premature ovarian failure. Yeah. So essentially what that is, is early menopause. So my Mm -hmm. hormone levels were the levels that a 52 year old woman who's gone through menopause would typically be. Um, so elevated follicle stimulating hormone, cause that's my brain trying to get my ovaries to produce eggs and ovulate. Mm-hmm. And my ovaries were just not having it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a tough thing. I remember I always would get my lab results emailed to me. Um, you know, especially working in medicine, I, I always want to like own my own health, which I recommend to anyone, any patient, regardless of your background or training, Mm -hmm. taking control of your own health and being aware of your, you know, your lab results, your um, medications you're on, what they're for, what the side effects can be, those sorts of things. Educate yourself. No one cares more about your health than you do. Than you do. And so, um, you know, don't just rely on your doctors or um, medical providers for that. So, I remember getting those results back and knowing what it meant even before I talked to my doctor and I was out in California, I was at the condo I was living in and just looking at those levels and knowing that motherhood was going to be a really challenging path for me if it was even going to be possible. Um, so at that time we couldn't really act on anything right away because my husband and I were living in different states and the OBGYN that I had seen has told me, um, go see this reproductive endocrinologist. So reproductive endocrinologists are kind of the fertility specialists. They're the doctors mm-hmm. that are going to manage any kind of advanced fertility treatments like intrauterine insemination, IUI or IVF. Mm. Um, and in my case, we got on a list to meet with the reproductive endocrinologist in Arizona. And it just so happened that it was a six month wait, which is about, yeah, which was about the length of time I was going to be in California. So I I moved back here to Arizona. There was really nothing to do in that time period besides just kind of wait. 
we met with the reproductive endocrinologist. He kind of had this whole spiel looking at my numbers and said, um, donor egg IVF is going to be the only route that you are going to be able to get pregnant and have a child. Um, Mm. and I remember that feeling pretty heavy at the time, just like when I had been initially diagnosed with premature ovarian failure, just feeling like just so much, just kind of sadness and grief that here I was at 35, not able to have a child. And that felt really devastating. Um, Mm -hmm. but then he did an ultrasound, uh, and looked at my ovaries and was like, well, actually these don't look as bad as your labs look. (laughs) And so why don't you, there's like a follicle growing in one of your ovaries. So why don't you guys like give it a go and see what happens? Hmm. Well, so my husband and I, we, (laughs) we went home, we were paying attention to the signs and signals. If you're into like, you know, trying to make a baby, there's quite a few things you can look for with your own body Mm -hmm. um, to try to, uh, kind of make that happen more likely than not. And Mm -hmm. we happened to get pregnant about six weeks later with my daughter, Denali. Um, literally a miracle, no interventions, no, uh, help from any, you know, medications or doctors or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I got pregnant, which definitely feels like a miracle to us. And, um, I remember just like not believing it at first feeling like, is this, is this really happening? Like almost doubting it, even knowing that like looking at this positive pregnancy test, getting a positive HCG blood test that same day. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, is this, is this little tiny embryo going to stick around or is my egg quality not good enough? Am I going to have a miscarriage? Those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But she did stick around and mm-hmm. we found And out- mind you, I want everybody to know. So Nancy is like me, where she's pretty much an open book, as you might have already guessed. But at this time, Nancy, you weren't sharing this. I don't think to many people like I, I don't remember you ever telling me this story until after Denali was born. Yeah, it was. Well, I think you it know? all it all happened at such a busy time. I was studying for my boards I had just graduated um I was like trying to find my first job there was just a lot going on and then here it turns out that we get this like miracle pregnancy that was completely unexpected Mm -hmm. um so we found out at 10 weeks that this baby was a girl and I remember my husband saying okay we need to name her today (laughs) (laughs) and time I'm like wait a second we have like 30 more weeks until she makes her grand entrance you know like (laughs) today and sure enough we looked through this these names and lists and I had started a list a long time ago you know Mm -hmm. when you as you do as a woman yeah yeah when you yeah when you hope to be a mother someday you just you know like make a little note of names you like Mm -hmm. and Denali was on the list of names and Mm -hmm. at first Kevin was kind of hesitant about that and I didn't even bring that name up to him I just showed him the list because I was afraid he was gonna not like it and it was the Mm -hmm. one I liked the most and then when he found out that it means the great one in like mm-hmm. the Athabascan Native American language. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he got excited about it and decided 
we decided together, but he was very much like on a timeline that that was Mm going to be her name. Um, (laughs) His timeline. (laughs) Yeah. So fast forward about, what would that have been? About 18 more weeks. um, Mm -hmm. We got some pretty devastating news on an ultrasound that Denali had a set of very complex heart defects and that due to those heart defects, she may may very well likely have a genetic syndrome um, that causes really complex heart defects Mm -hmm. and about 200 other possible medical problems and complexities. Um, So here you are. Like you're, 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 you're a walking miracle and you're feeling great. And then you just go in and it's just supposed to be a normal sort of ultrasound or was that a fetal heart ultrasound? So we had done an anatomy scan and they couldn't see the baby's heart very well because she was never in a great position for ultrasound. She was always had, yeah, yeah, she always had her back. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were like, come back in a month. So they checked in a month and they still, they saw some differences. They were hoping it was just positional and, but then sent us for a fetal echo. Mm-hmm. And that's when we found out at about 28 weeks. So yeah. um, we, I remember fine. It was a Friday that we found out and I just, I just cried the entire weekend. I just stayed in yeah. bed. My father-in-law was visiting with some buddies to golf here Mm -hmm. in the spring it was March of um that year and I just I just hold up in the bedroom and just cried and Mm -hmm. at the time it was just you know like all these worries about like is she gonna live is she gonna make it to be born and then what happens after she's born well it's a (laughs) it's a whole story but let me just say that she is an almost four-year-old yeah runs around has so much to say has survived and thrived and we're so grateful for she goes camping with you guys. <laughs> yeah she, she fishes she runs she jumps she yes. plays she's just very she's much got, she's got a character to match her name <laughs> she does <laughs> she definitely has lived up to her name in so many ways um mm-hmm. She, but it wasn't easy. I no, mean, no. My husband and I talk about how that first year was just, there was just like a fog. Yeah. When we think back on it, it was like, literally, we were literally keeping her alive. Yeah. And she was, she had a feeding tube for her first 16 months of life. Mm-hmm. She was on oxygen at different times. We had to move to California to deliver her at Stanford because of mm-hmm. the complexities of her heart she had a major lung surgery where half of her left lung was removed at two months old because she had tumors in it and then she had her like 15 hour cardiac open heart surgery at at four months old and so that first year was really really hard from like a feeding standpoint and surgeries she got sick a lot another aspect Mm -hmm. of she did end up getting diagnosed with the genetic syndrome called 22q deletion syndrome um, Mm -hmm. that caused her heart defects also caused her inability to swallow very well and so that's why she needed the feeding tube it also causes low um, t cells so t cells are an important part of the immune system and so especially that first year she got sick a lot Um, Mm -hmm. so it was just (laughs) 
I was exclusively pumping. She never could nurse because it was just too hard for her to swallow. Um, and so I exclusively pumped for 14 months and it was just, it was, it was a lot. I yeah. thought I would go back to work. You know, when I found out I was pregnant, I thought, oh, well, I'll just take a, you know, three month maternity leave uh, mm-hmm. and then go back to work, you know, hopefully not full time, but part time. And I didn't go back to work for almost a year. Um, yeah. And when yeah. I did, it's only been one day a week. <laughs> yep. Hey, <laughs> because that's, you know, we, she, she hasn't been a child we wanted to put in daycare because of her immune system. And then with COVID and everything else, we've just had to be extra cautious with her, but. And she was just a little over two years old when COVID came yeah. around, right? Yeah. yeah so, was... I mean, this is just like, she has just got, she's only been a couple months off of her feeding tubes and all this kind of stuff. If I'm, if my, if my math is yeah. right, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and so, and now all of a sudden this huge worldwide scare is happening and you've got this, fra- well, fragile, but you know, like super strong kid, like, yeah, you can't, I, 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 but you know, the whole thing about feeding, I actually had kind of forgotten about that until you just mentioned it. And it's funny because one of the videos you shared on Facebook is of Denali and you baking and Denali just literally sticking her finger into the butter and eating the butter right there <laughs> straight yeah. down. Yeah, and she's just going yeah. to town on the butter. <laughs> and you know what? That's my favorite image of her, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the camping pictures and her with her grandparents and great-grandparents and everything, all of those are absolutely wonderful. But when I think of her, that's what I that's what I think of. Yeah, she... She loves butter and she gets a, she gets like a spoonful of butter pretty much every day (laughs) because (laughs) she's still very small for her age. Um, Mm -hmm. but she has what she needs and she's Mm -hmm. getting the, the, you know, she's growing, she's, her brain is developing. And I also think it's interesting from like a kind of a diet and nutrition standpoint, what's healthy for her Mm -hmm. is a stick of butter. You know, yeah. I mean, of course we want her eating fiber and getting vitamins mm-hmm. and minerals from other things, but fat is so essential to kids' brain development. Yep. And I think sometimes we demonize certain foods and, you know, our diet we culture totally is um, kind of has a lot of issues in some, in significant ways. And this idea that like foods that are healthy for some people are not the same foods that are healthy for other people, but all foods mm-hmm. provide nutrients and you know, um, help people thrive depending on who those people are. And so she's yeah. someone, she's teaching me that as we, you know, as we grow together. Yeah. Well, and, and I completely agree with what you're saying, uh, you know, through my own life experiences, but also, you know, there's an old school trick. I don't know if you ever did this when you, when you were go- in your intense program, but um, when I was going to school, you know, a couple little bites of butter, uh, was way better than an energy drink to get your mind woken up <laughs> and get you to write that essay yeah. at o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the foods that can kind of sustain you and keep your body revved up are, are important. So she's... Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Denali's a little... She's a little pistol and she's, she's, a, she's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. And we've just, we're just so grateful that she's doing so well. Her current kind of... Pl- um, status is that we're just kind of waiting for her next heart surgery. She'll always need um, yeah. 
pulmonary valve replacements throughout her life. Mm-hmm. She had the one placed when she was four months old. It's a cadaver valve. So it's human tissue, mm-hmm. um, but it's very s- small for her now. And so probably mm-hmm. about a, a year and a half from now, she'll need her next valve replacement. And what will they continue to think do cadaver or will it ever be like, cause I, cause you know, I, I didn't even know they did pig heart thingamajiggers until my dad's stuff this last uh, yeah but you know for her we're hopeful that the next one would be a cadaver valve and then if they can put a big enough valve in then they can do maybe her next couple valve replacements via cath so through the femoral artery in her groin Mm. Um, they can actually do valve changes that way if the valve in her heart is a big enough size so Mm. we are just like so grateful for medical advancements and surgeons who dedicate their lives to like operating on these tiny little hearts. Yeah. Um, And we're just, we're hopeful about her future and our future. And, um, and you can see that and you guys can just the love that you guys have for her just radiates through everything you do. (laughs) I mean, if ever, if ever, I mean, I get, a, I'll be honest with you, Nancy. Um, I watch your, your journey with, with just Denali alone. And it frightens me to think, sorry, I'm going to cry <laughs> to think that I would ever be put in that position with a child. And yet it also strengthens me to observe You've always been an extremely strong woman. Like the things that you've set for yourself, like um, for instance, you made a goal, I think in your late twenties to visit, uh, to, to go to every national park in the United (laughs) States. Yeah. And I think you accomplished that, right? I haven't been to all of them, but we just, we were in Tennessee last week and we went to Great Smoky Mountain National Park because it's one I hadn't been to. So I'm still working on it. (laughs) You're still working on it. But at the same time, like that's, and, 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 you know, um, and just he, taking on all these challenges, you know, this is going to sound really corny, but when we were in our twenties and you decided to go get your braces, I need braces. Now I'm in my forties and, <laughs> and I, and I was just like, this is the bravest woman I have ever seen. And you've just <laughs> proven that over and over again, but your strength as a human being, I think has never shown truer than um, how you've persevered and your love has just grown rather than diminished through this journey of having Denali. She is, she is an amazing child and living, like having her in our family has been such a blessing. Like you said, it, it's, been terrifying at times and Mm -hmm. there's still you know every parent worries about their child and at the worst you know our greatest fear is that our child will die right and so I acknowledge the fact that like every parent has that fear um and then it's a very different scenario when that elephant is living in your living room You know, of like your child having a very serious, very complex set of medical conditions. And that fear can almost overtake you of losing them. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something, you know, that I 
I definitely grapple with on a daily basis. And, you know, it's something that I'm like processing and talking through. I have a therapist um, Mm -hmm. because it's such a real and valid fear, you know, um, orders of magnitude more significant than a parent's fear would be about a healthy child, even though we never know how long life will last and life is very precious and can be taken away in an instant. Um, And that's something that we acknowledge and are very cognizant of in our family on a day-to-day basis. But fortunately, because Denali is doing so well, it does Mm -hmm. make it easier to kind of not dwell on that Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, Yeah. yeah. And also um, from from an observer standpoint, it doesn't feel like you guys live each day as if it would be your last. You just live each day as if, well, this is, this is our gift. Yeah. To to its fullest, I guess. Like we definitely like plan for the future. We discipline her. She gets in trouble when she's a little Turkey. Um, Like any taught, you know, any toddler or three-year-old would. Um, Mm -hmm. But then we do try to cherish the moments we have never knowing how finite they are yes exactly well and then fast forwarding to uh this last summer you came home to visit by the way nancy is from alaska as well and (laughs) most of her family still lives well half of your family still lives here yeah and so nancy's always coming home and uh but she hadn't been home in a while because of covid and so she and so I tried really hard not to pressure her to meet up when she was home because I knew <laughs> it was precious family time. But we were able to meet up for a breakfast. And um, at that time, uh, we were ta- we were both really excited because I think I'd been engaged about six months at that point. Mm-hmm. And and. Um, you know, we discussed the the tragic journey that both of us had gone through in order to find the men that we finally found <laughs> <laughs> uh, that were worthy of us. And and then you dropped a bombshell on me. You told me you couldn't actually make my wedding. And at first, before <laughs> you explained why, my immediate reaction was, "You've got to be kidding me." <laughs> <laughs> Oh. But then you told me why, and I was like, okay, Emily, we're good. <laughs> this, is, this is way more important. And so what was that reason? Well, interestingly, I couldn't, we couldn't make it to each other's, well, you couldn't make it to my wedding, and I couldn't make it to your first wedding because we were getting married on the same day okay. in different states. Yep. And then <laughs> this time around, I remember, because it, it was September 20th, right, that you... Yeah. Uh, September 17th, yes. 17th, okay. So... Um, I, yes. So at that point we had tried to have a second baby and get this little like miracle to happen. Like it had with Denali where we just, you know, do things the old fashioned way. And my body was definitely in a much different place. And my ovaries really were done. They are done. Yeah. And so we kind of went back to the drawing board and decided that we were going to pursue donor egg IVF. And it just so happened that our egg donors egg retrieval was going to be like the 16th or 17th of September. And then I would be doing a embryo transfer, you know, within a few days following that. So 
Um, there, there, <laughs> so we, I was not available to fly to Anchorage and be there for your wedding. Sadly, I do. I did watch the, um, the live. Um, oh, that's right. You did like, broadcast that you did or zoom that you did of it, which was beautiful. Yeah. Um, I wish I could have been there in person, but did you like, did you like the bit at the very beginning where the, where our friend did or tried his best to do the princess bride? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the commentary too of whoever was videoing was funny, just kind of explain trying to explain to people watching like what was happening. And I know our our friends were so great, and um, and yet at the same time they were they were also frustrated because you know internet in Alaska has never been, in in by any stretch of the mean re- means reliable. But that day in particular, <sighs> even though it was an absolutely gorgeous day, in the midst of like multiple weeks of rain. For some reason that day, the internet just decided that it was going to crap out all over Anchorage. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it was, it was an interesting, so we couldn't, we couldn't uh, stream from where we wanted. We wanted everybody up close and personal with us. Oh, but... that's why it was kind of from far away. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Cause that was, that was the only way he could even get, I think he was connected to yeah. bars. Yeah. Uh-huh. But Anyway, it was it was it was uh, quite amazing, and everybody was so. Uh, I was watching the comments or reading the comments later, and they were like, um, "Oh, what was with the guy who was uh, marrying them? Why did he start crying?" And I was like, "Cause he's my dad, he's the one that <laughs> married us." Yeah. And of course, you know, um, my dad did not approve at all of my first husband, which he was correct on that. And uh, so was everybody else, including Nancy, even though you were always very kind about things. I was going to support you no matter what. I had my reservations, but I'm like, Emily needs me in her corner. So that's where I'm going to (laughs) be. Yep. You and and Anna, you two were the ones that were completely in my corner, even though you guys saw the the red flags. Uh, But my family, they were all like, no, these are big red flags. Yeah. <laughs> we do not support <laughs> this marriage, even though they did in essence, because they support me. Right. But, um, and, and they were all proved right. Everybody around me was proved right. And, uh, you know, uh, but this time round, the very first time my dad met Jeremy, it was instant chemistry between those two. Oh, that's and- so great. Yep. And they just, I I mean, I wouldn't say that another man adores another man, you know, he, he adores his, his, his fa- step father-in-law, but they, it's just, it's just uh, amazing to me when we have family gatherings, my dad will be sitting in his rocking chair and Jeremy will sit in the couch next to him and they'll just sit there and talk for hours. Yeah. And, I'm like, that would have never happened with my first husband ever. That's got to make you feel so happy, just like at peace and happy. It really does. So anyway, that was off topic, but. um, (laughs) No, we were talking about your wedding. It was very much on topic. But you were able to watch from across the country. And, um, but I think talking about, um, Talking about this IVF and donor eggs and everything, you know, that had been something that I had contemplated as well because um, all the doctors up here in Anchorage were telling me um, that because of my cancer when I was 19 and all the treatments I went through, um, 
I just, it wasn't that I was, it was a completely different reason from yours. It wasn't that I had entered into early menopause or anything, but that they had just radiated that area and it just wasn't possible to get pregnant. And so, um, you know, my husband and I, we've been talking about even before marriage, like what this meant, because we, we, we both desperately wanted a family. And, um, so I was very much in favor of doing foster care and adoption. And Jeremy was very much in favor of first trying, you know, um, IVF and having a natural uh, baby, um, if at all possible. But we just could never get my health to the point that they, my doctors would sign off on me Mm -hmm. doing IVF. Um, And then, of course, we had our miracle as well. Yeah. Which, you know, pretty much was um, a week after you. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but can you tell me about the process uh, or tell our listeners about the process of what it means to do IVF and egg donor? Yeah. So, like? um, basically, so IVF inter- um, in vitro fertilization is a process that's used where the, um, you know, a reproductive endocrinologist harvests eggs from ovaries that have been stimulated through medication and then creates embryos in a lab with using, you know, in our case, my husband's sperm, but they can, Mm -hmm. it can be sperm from a sperm donor or, you know, from the couple themselves. Um, The embryo is grown usually to a day five embryo. And then Mm. those embryos sometimes the couple will decide to test the embryos, genetic test the embryos. Oh, so they um, they biopsy the embryos, freeze the embryos, wait on those test results, and then they would do a frozen transfer. So they would thaw one of the embryos or two of the embryos, depending on the couple's decision and the doctor's um, kind of <sighs> clinic protocols and Uh then they would transfer the frozen embryos in our case we had a little bit of a unique situation in that when I very first had been diagnosed with um, premature ovarian failure it's also called primary ovarian insufficiency um, Mm. sometimes so if you come across that term but um, Mm -hmm. when I was first diagnosed we had talked to my sister about being our egg donor Mm -hmm. and then you know we miraculously got pregnant and didn't end up needing to go down that path at that time. But Mm -hmm. she and her husband had agreed to that and were excited about helping us grow our family. Well then, you know, fast forward three and a half years. Yeah. Um, well about three years, uh, Denali was about three when we kind of started talking about the process again. Um, we went back to my sister, my sister, Sarah is eight years younger than me. She's finished growing her family. She has four amazing kids Mm -hmm. and um, she and her husband were open again to the idea of helping us and having her be our egg donor. So um, how that process works is essentially it's an entire IVF process, but halfway through the process, my sister and I switch places. So she hmm. did the first half of the cycle with the ovarian stimulation. She did inject, you know, ultrasounds and injections, 
twice Mm -hmm. a day for several weeks. And then she lives in Salt Lake and about um, halfway through the cycle, she flew here to Arizona and was here for about eight or nine days where they monitored her every day, seeing how many follicles were growing in her ovaries and then scheduled the procedure to remove her, the, the um, eggs from her Mm -hmm. ovaries and then fertilize them in the lab with Kevin's sperm. So that happened on the 16th of September, the day before you got married. Mm-hmm. And then um, she, that process went pretty smoothly for her. I mean, there's like some bloating and discomfort from the procedure. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, she did really well with it. And then um, she flew home to Salt Lake. And five days later we transferred one embryo into my uterus. So it only takes one? Um, so we have seven more embryos that are frozen. Okay. Um, yeah. So she got, there were 29 eggs that were retrieved. Mm-hmm. Um, we froze five. And of those 29, 20 of them were mature. And mm-hmm. we froze five of the eggs and then fertilized 15 of the eggs. And out of those 15, we got, I think, 11 embryos. And eight of those were high enough quality to freeze or transfer. So wow. we, we transferred one of them on, okay. this, on September 21st. And he stuck around. He's wow. now this baby that's filling up my abdomen. <laughs> um and I you know it's so interesting when you go through that process for an embryo transfer because you know they put that embryo up in your uterus and then you're just like waiting so you know how people say well you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant there's no gray area well yeah Yeah. there is (laughs) (laughs) because I was in that gray area for about five days waiting Finally, on day five, I took a home pregnancy test and it showed up that I was pregnant. And so I remember just like this relief of like, okay, we overcame this like huge hurdle. The embryo decided to stick to the side of the uterine wall. And he's, you know, this embryo is like with us now. Um, And then it's just, you know, and then you do blood work to confirm that the HCG levels are rising every other day. And then finally, an ultrasound um, to show the fetal pole and the yolk sac um, happened about three weeks after transfer. And then at about six weeks after transfer, you can see the heartbeat. Um, And so we got to see that little heart beating. And it's so interesting with my daughter's history, with the complexity of her heart and her heart issues. And then that heartbeat is what we use to determine you know, vibe like life and, and Mm -hmm. if, if that embryo and that fetus is growing how it should. And so, um, Mm -hmm. we've just been grateful through this process that everything's gone so smoothly and that it worked the first time. We're just like incredibly grateful to my sister for the sacrifice and the gift that she gave us, um, of this opportunity to grow our family. And, um, it's, and the whole process, though, for for her injecting herself twice a day and things like that uh, is very painful. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, the, you're basically stimulating the ovaries more than the body does on its own. Mm -hmm. And so there's like extra fluid and kind of cramping and things like that as, as the, um, reproductive organs are kind of responding to that uh, medication. Mm -hmm. And so. Did um, you experience it the same way when you start when, when, cause you had to do the injections as well, right? Yeah. So the day she had her egg retrieval five days before transfer, I started progesterone injections. And so those you do, it's a gluteal injection, um, every day up until about 12 weeks. Um, wow. And then I'm actually still doing them twice a week because, due to my age and the fact that it was an IVF pregnancy, they were checking my progesterone levels in the second trimester and uh, they were on the lower end. So I'm Mm -hmm. still doing the injections twice a week and will, I think until 30, 36 weeks or something. And then they have me stop. Um, It's basically to prevent preterm labor. Right. And, but was that, what was that expected that your numbers would be low because of your pre-existing condition or no I think they just happened to be low and I think the doctor the OB that I'm seeing is just pretty cautious and conservative Mm -hmm. oftentimes women with IVF they just stop the injections and they don't even really check a progesterone level but my doctor checked and I was on the lower end and so we're still doing the injection Ah. yeah um but this, as a side note, everything has been really smooth with this pregnancy. And at 40, I'm just really grateful that, you know, I know you mm-hmm. can relate, Emily, yes. <laughs> that things are, you know, moving in the right direction. But this baby boy is huge. He's, he's, <laughs> he's 97th percentile. And um, <laughs> I was thinking maybe that meant I had gestational diabetes, but everything yeah. checked out fine with that. And he's just he's just big. So um, we'll see how things progress. But we're just, you know, hopeful and expectant that he'll continue to grow like he should. And he's just gonna be a big boy. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think that's a a beautiful thing. I I mean, I, I keep telling my husband that, uh, that our Jimmy is long. He's not big. He's long, Mm -hmm. but, but, um, they can tell when they do the ultrasounds with me that his legs are going to be pretty long, which matches oh, really? up with, yeah, which matches up with uh, Jeremy's side of the family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I just always tell Jeremy, like, you know, we're going to have a giant for a son, but, you know, um, but he'll, he, I should be fine to give birth naturally. Well, yeah. not naturally, naturally, but everybody, I am doing, uh, I'm doing painkillers for the birth. Yeah. <laughs> the birth. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a sucker for pain, but, um, but yeah, to, to get, to have a vaginal birth and things, but there are just, you know, um, you're at that point now where it's a couple weeks after at the time where you learned where didn't, so, okay. Your current pregnancy is, um, six months along a little over. Mm-hmm. And at this time when you were pregnant with Denali, that's when you guys learned about her heart. So yeah. how has that, how is, how has this experience with this pregnancy been like, has it, has it created some anxiety or worry that this would happen again? Or have you just been really confident? So I would say a combination of both. So we know that Denali's genetic syndrome happened just on its own, which is the which is the, which is true for 
90% of people who have 22Q deletion, it's what's called a de nouveau deletion, meaning it's, it happens right at conception. It wasn't inherited from either parent. Kevin and oh. I have tested um, negative for the deletion syndrome, which we expected since we don't have the medical issues that people with 22Q typically do. Okay. Um, so we were confident going into this pregnancy, especially because you know, it's not even my eggs, it's my sister's eggs. And so, um, but you do have an increased chance once you have one child with, um, a a complex set of heart defects, you do have increased chance of your next child having, um, heart defects as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we did our due diligence. They did a fetal echo on baby boy at about 18 weeks and everything looks perfect with his heart. So that was reassuring. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the, the worry of something going wrong and especially I'm at the same OB clinic where I was with Denali. And so like being in the same room where they did her anatomy scan and yes. being with the same sonographer and just like, it's also the same time of year because baby boy is due just a couple weeks after Denali's birthday. And oh, so it's okay. all kind of like the same timeline. And I think the the most anxiety that I have is that I, we had an emergency cesarean delivery with Denali and mm-hmm. I really don't want a C-section again. <laughs> if I have to for baby safety and my safety, then of course we'll go that route. But I think in my mind, there's this connection of, okay, if I end up with a C-section again, things can spiral and go badly or poorly Mm. in similar ways like they did last time, even though last time probably 80% of the complications had to do with Denali and her, um, you know, her medical issues specifically around her heart, but there were still scary things that happened. And so in my mind, it's like, if I have a C-section, those same kinds of scary things can happen. And so, um, you know, processing through that, um, working through that kind of grief Mm -hmm. and anxiety and, wanting a very different experience, but then also, um, trying to manage the things I can control. Like a cesarean doesn't have to be a scary, um, crazy emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can yeah. also be, you know, planned. It, they can turn the lights down. You can talk about, um, you know, I want to hold the baby right away and, um, I don't want to go like with Tanali, I didn't see her for four hours after she was born because oh. of various things going on. And that was just such a disconnecting mm-hmm. circumstance. Like I just remember them wheeling me into the NICU on a gurney and thinking like they could stop me in front of any child. Like, I don't know which child is mine. She lived inside me for, you know, almost 10 months. And then I haven't even met her yet and she's four hours old. And so things like that, where you can, you know, as part of your birth plan, you can, I, and this is, you know, what I'll do with my OB is we're talking through scenarios. And if it does come to the fact that I do need a repeat C-section, the, the things we can mitigate and change and the variables that we can influence to have it be a better experience than last time. So there is some Mm -hmm. anxiety around that, but I think I'm working through those things and I have a good medical team that's supporting me. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think I, I definitely 
although there are worries and some anxiety, it feels very different like it than it did with Denali, where I was like terrified she wasn't going to live. I don't feel that way with this pregnancy. So that's a relief. (laughs) Yes, very much. And so all of those things that you were just discussing um, is part of what they call a birth plan, which probably our listeners all know about. But me, this is my first pregnancy. Uh, Can I just say, like, I... I am really honestly appalled at how little knowledge we as women have about pregnancy, A, how to get pregnant, you know, and the various means thereof, uh-huh. and B, the process of that nine slash 10 months of being pregnant, and then what it means to actually give birth, like we talk about it in vague terms. And I, I, for me, I have, you know, I'm one of six children and are you, are you one of three? No, four, four. four? Mm-hmm. four. Yeah. And <clears throat> you know, all my siblings, well, except for uh, two of them, they've all had their bunch of litter of children. <laughs> <laughs> and, but even with that, like, I just, there was never discussion about, anything that my sister my older sister was experiencing or my sisters-in-laws were experiencing as they went through the pregnancy process and here I am at 40 and pregnant for the first time and I feel like there's this vast wealth of knowledge that has been denied me this whole time and and perhaps that's my fault perhaps I just kind of assumed that because they always told me I could never get pregnant. I just never really looked at it. And maybe, I don't know, did you ever kind of look at what pregnancy would look like? Because you had always lived in hope of having a family, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot that I didn't understand. And and to be fair, I mean, most things we don't understand really until we go through them ourselves. Um, but I true. do think that you're right in that, And the perspective I come from is, you know, growing up when you're a teenager in your early life, it's like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. I mean, that's basically the role of sex education. That's a lot of perspectives that parents come from. Um, And we were in the 90s where all of these, um, uh, where all these teenage pregnancies were happening. And so it was, I feel like it was maybe pounded into us a little harder in the 90s uh, right I mean yeah teen pregnancies have definitely dropped off since the 90s um but sorry I interrupted what you know but I feel like especially someone who I likely was going through menopause my menstrual periods were never normal yeah never not even in my teens not in my 20s. And I likely would have got this diagnosis much earlier than I did. Had I understood how my body works, had medical mm-hmm. professionals, specifically OBGYNs, who in my opinion should have done better, mm-hmm. um, paying attention to what was actually happening with my body instead of just slapping birth control on it like they did when I was 15 and said, You just have abnormal periods. You probably have PCOS, which I don't. And they Mm -hmm. never did an ultrasound. They never did blood work to confirm high testosterone levels and cystic ovaries. I never had that done. Mm -hmm. 
And so for 15 years, 20 years, I believed I had PCOS and I thought maybe I would have fertility issues, but you can get pregnant with PCOS. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So um, I feel like we do a disservice to young women and women, teens, by acting like the only issue in that they need to focus on about reproduction is just pregnancy prevention. Yes. Um, because then how do you transition to what to do when you want to get pregnant? We have very little education around that, just like what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and as someone who went through that at a likely a very, very young age, completely unknowing, like completely um, ignorant to what was happening to my body because I didn't know what to even pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, of course we, you know, we don't want 16 year olds having babies. Like that's mm-hmm. not, that's mm-hmm. not ideal or, mm-hmm. you know, good for many reasons, but teaching, um, teaching what fertility looks like and what happens to our body every month and why Um, Mm -hmm. I think is really empowering uh, and Mm -hmm. can be helpful at pregnancy prevention when that's the goal. And then also at focusing on pregnancy when the goal is to, you know, grow, start your family or grow your family. So I'm with you in that some of these subjects have been kind of taboo for, for a long time and through generations, you know, like the generation that raised us and like, Mm-hmm. we, you know, can do better, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is very, th- this might sound very off subject, but it's, I, I, but it's, it's, it's along that line of taboo. Like last night, my husband was um, singing to our child. He had his mouth on our, <laughs> on my belly and was just singing. Aww. And then very unexpectedly, he let out this burp right on my belly. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> And he was so appalled and he, and I was just laughing so hard and our baby was kicking up a storm and I just couldn't stop laughing. And, um, you know, and, and I said, you know, I love that we share these moments. Like I told him, like, for instance, I no longer close the door, no matter what type of bathroom experience I'm having, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and it's just so freeing to like, you know, for, uh, for, for my entire pregnancy, I've had very difficult, um, time, um, uh, defecating or, you know, mm-hmm. going number two. And it's led to some very trying things because Jimmy is very deep and he's pushed all my organs up under my ribs. Mm. And so my, my intestines are very squished than they should normally be. Same mm. with my lungs. Um, and, um, so it's just been very difficult this whole time. So it's actually become a thing in our household that whenever I actually, you know, can go number two, we kind of have a little mini celebration, a party. <laughs> yes. And like, if he's at work, I'll text him or voice message him and let him know. And I'll be all squealing and, you know, and he'll squeal back at me. Kind of a thing. <laughs> right. And, and I told him like my family, like if you burp, uh, it, everybody is appalled at you and it's this kind of taboo these subjects of of taboo that that I've always struggled with I've I've never liked things being secret I've never liked things um I've just always wanted everything out in the open yeah yeah and for me going through this experience of being pregnant 
I guess I just assumed that I knew what pregnancy would look like. And then to be presented with the fact that I had absolutely no idea, not even a glimmer. Like I knew, I knew there was um, morning sickness, but I didn't know that you could have morning sickness at 10 PM at night. Yeah. And Um, through your whole pregnancy (laughs) and through the whole pregnancy. Yeah. And, and I didn't know, I, I assumed because all of my sisters and, and now you with this pregnancy, you guys have this beautiful baby bump. I just assumed that I would have that too. (laughs) And like we were discussing before we started recording, I just look fat and I'm, and I'm okay with that in one sense, but I'm also very frustrated with it in another sense because you know, I'll stop my I'll stop my little rampage about this just to say that, you know, I just feel that we can do better as a society. And with this new generation, um, I just I just I, I, I like my plan for my son is to be as open with him as I am with his father and to not let him sit there and wonder about these things and to really have open dialogue about what is what the changes are happening in his body what's normal and what might not be normal so that when he's an adult I'm hoping that this will bring more confidence to him whereas you know another thing we discussed earlier was the fact that I haven't even had to get a new shirt since I've been pregnant because (laughs) apparently I've just my entire life always worn incredibly baggy clothing (laughs) and it's because it was it was my parents are very beautiful wonderful loving people but their generation brought up this my generation to be conservative in dress in thought in Mm -hmm. deed and um and I'm just gonna say it I have Still there? Mm-hmm. Oh, I got a phone call. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, I got a great set of rack on me, but I never showed it off. You never show I it off. Like, right. <laughs> I was always taught that that is indecent and that all of these things just need to be covered and covered well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm not sitting there. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm not getting my point across. It's, it's mainly just that I just want open dialogue. I don't want this mystery around these things anymore. And that's why I really felt it important to ask you who I think feels pretty much the same way as I do and has, and has always been very open about, about um, this journey you're on um, to come on here and share so that our listeners far and wide can can hear that um what they're struggling with or their feelings that they're having or their or their pregnancy if if they're currently going through it or it's past um like it's all normal and not taboo to discuss if that makes sense do i still have you nance um uh but that's just uh Let's just wrap up by saying, like, is there any parting message that you would like to share with our listeners, uh, maybe about your journey or about, like, giving them not advice per se, but encouragement about their personal journey? Well, not, I would... And not even just about pregnancy, about woman's health, <sighs> right? 
Well, something that I wanted to bring up too, that was kind of on this last subject that we were on that Mm -hmm. I haven't talked about with this being a donor egg IVF pregnancy is that we are going to be very open with our son about his origin story and where he comes from and where his genetics come from. And that of course, love makes a family and we love him already and we will always love him. And he has a different story than his sister. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's his story and he needs to know that story and own that story. And so this idea that like, we're already practicing talking to him about where he comes from. And we've talked to his sister about where he comes from and how we needed some extra help. And aunt Sarah helped us to grow our family. And I think just what you were talking about being open and straightforward with our children is so important. And that touches on so many aspects of our lives Mm -hmm. and their lives. And especially in the situation where, we do have a child that has a different background and this assumption that, I mean, a hundred out of a hundred people seeing me pregnant would assume that this baby is genetically related to me. Like Mm -hmm. he's growing inside me. Of course Mm -hmm. he is. Mm -hmm. He's he's not, I mean, he is because my sister is a donor, but, um, and there are genetic influences that the, pregnant person you know passes on to the child through epigenetics Mm -hmm. but his DNA comes you know half from my sister and half from Kevin his dad and so we're going to be very Mm -hmm. straightforward with him about that we don't want there ever to be this like we sit him down when he's 12 years old or eight years old and tell him (laughs) because his assumption all along up until that point would be that he was genetically related to me and Kevin. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there's some people can't handle that, you know, as a parent, they feel like that would be too hard to, to tell their child that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like it's our responsibility as parents to be as open and honest with our children as we can be. And, and that's our plan with this, you know, with this baby boy that he will always know where he came from and that he came from a place of love. Um, Yeah. And, and, and a place uh, that is so special and unique that there's no shame around it whatsoever. Right. Right. Anytime just joy. Yeah. Anytime we're keeping secrets or we're feeling like they can't Mm -hmm. handle it. And you know what, if he goes to his kindergarten class and tells everybody that's just fine because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to model sharing that story and then he can share it. However, you know, however he wants to. And, um, I think that's beautiful. (laughs) Thanks. And then, you know, we'll see how that works out in practice. You know, we haven't Mm -hmm. done, we haven't done it yet, but we're preparing ourselves for that. And that is our plan to always be as, as straightforward and honest as possible. Um, and I plan on doing the same, like, you know, uh, I, 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 I plan on telling, telling my child, like, your mother is not perfect. She's had a very um, difficult adulthood. She's gone through a lot of sexual trauma and, um, and partner abuse. Um, and, and that, and that plays out on things. It's not an excuse 
but it it does show its head on a daily basis Mm, yeah you know and and like jeremy and i are very open we talk about this constantly because there are times where he moves and you know he's just he's maybe just reaching across the table to grab the salt shaker and i'll flinch Mm -hmm. and kind of kind of cow back you know and cower back that's the word and that hurts him so deeply when that happens, right? And so we constantly have these conversations, not to like re-injure me or anything like that, but to make sure that this is a conversation that is normalized, that we don't mm-hmm. place shame around it. Right, uh, right. And I feel like it's important, and I've had this conversation with my husband, it's important for our son to uh, especially I feel like my our son who you know will have the power to harm as his mother has been harmed right that he very much be aware of that of that strength and that power differential that is us as human beings yeah kind of inherent yeah yes and that that he honor um, instead of reject or shy away from, right? Or all of this kind of stuff. That he honors yeah. the path that his parents have traveled to bring him here and, and, what, his, and what his life will look like. So I, like you said, his origin story. It's, it's a normal origin story. Guy met girl, guy got girl pregnant. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but, the, but the path of the parents' origin story is, is vastly different, and it, and it is influencing greatly um, what his life is going to look like. And I feel like it's very important that he be aware of, of all of that. Yeah, so, I think that's so wise. Um, I hope so. I haven't told my family that that's our plan. And it worries me because they would they would feel the exact opposite. They don't want to talk about these things. They want to pretend that nothing ever harmed any of us ever. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the reality of life is, is that harm comes to us all in various me- methodologies and um, and to and to push it away or push it down, lock it in Pandora's box, if you will it just ends up harming us in the future. And, and you'll do that in such a beautiful way for your family, Emily. And, you know, of course there's guidance around like, you know, age appropriate conversations, but exactly. but the point is that you have the conversation. Children can understand a lot of complex things and we don't have to give them all the nitty gritty details No, from the very start, but no. we do just want to have that open door to communication and we have to model that for exactly and they're not going to learn it on their own just like we didn't learn it on our own mm-hmm. or if we did it took us a really long time and a lot of life experience mm-hmm. um but yeah we have to kind of like lead by that example and that's my hope for my yeah. family and and for yours and yes yeah. uh we're gonna be amazing um <laughs> But I did interrupt you because I think you were rolling into my request for um, thoughts or advice. Oh, um, listeners. So I guess, you know, looking back as we've kind of talked through this conversation, there's a lot of aspects of my life where it would have been easy to kind of like 
give up or decide something was too hard. Yeah. Um, And looking back at those experiences, they weren't as scary or as hard as I thought they were going to be before going through them. You know, Mm -hmm. like this idea that things can look really scary and hard as we're facing them. And then we just go through them one step at a time. And if you have, you know, your own determination and a good support system, there's like nothing you can't accomplish, you know, and I don't mean Mm -hmm. that from like a woo woo, like rah, 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 we can do anything standpoint, but little by little, step by step, moving in a certain direction Mm-hmm. there's so much that each of us has the power to do. And this idea, whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed by something and it's just looking so daunting, I remember these experiences having been through them and knowing that it's usually not as bad as you think it's going to be. Yes. And so just start, you know, whether mm-hmm. that's a journey with infertility and it just seems so overwhelming from a, medical standpoint or a financial standpoint or a mm-hmm. what you thought your hopes and dreams were going to look like standpoint or whether it's starting a new career or taking something on that seems daunting like having a child with medical complexities like we just do all of these things just one day at a time one step at a time and mm-hmm. um and then we get to look back at what we've done and accomplished and it's can be pretty, um, pretty significant. And, and, and I really appreciate you, you sharing, especially that bit about this, having a support system. I think traditionally people think of, of their support system as being their family members. And if they're not close with those family members, they might think to themselves, well, I don't have that, you know, so I can't do what Nancy's talking about. Um, but we, but to understand that your, your support system is more than that. It's, it's those close friends. Like Mm -hmm. for instance, you know, you and Anna and Stephanie, who you've never met Stephanie, by the way, but you would love her. Um, (laughs) uh, but, uh, you three have been my constant, like my, 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 um, in my corner friends, no matter what I've done, no matter what bad choices I've done, you've always been there and reserved judgment. That's the key thing, right? Um, and, and then there's your community support system. It could be, I don't know, um, uh, it could be your pastor your, your, or your bishop, or it could be, um, it could be honestly your doctor. It could it could be your boss or your coworker. It could be um, the bartender. <laughs> yeah, know? build. You can yeah. build that if you don't feel like you have it already. Exactly. Yes. If it's not, if it's not something that you feel strong within the 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 family that you were born into, you can create it. So, and that in itself is a challenge, but one that is well worth. Um, propagating or strengthening because then when these other life challenges come up, you do have those people to, to, to lend a listening ear. And I want to reiterate one more time that these are people that will listen to you and care for you in such a way that there is no judgment. 
There is no internal dialogue going on within them saying, well, you should have done this, or I would never do that, or what were you thinking? All of those things. Instead, um, a bit like what Nancy was saying earlier when I made my choice to marry my first husband, like she had her reservations, but she said, what did you say? Uh, I'm going to support you no matter what or something like that. Yeah, that you regardless of how hard it was going to be or maybe red flags, like you needed my support. And that was more important. Yes. Than being right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And so seek out those relationships to cultivate those relationships, my friends. Boy, we've just talked about all kinds of things. <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> well, it's been a great conversation. Very therapeutic. I appreciate it. And <laughs> Um, I'm going to ask one more thing of you, my friend. Um, I would like to post some information on uh, or links to some websites and information about things like IVF and even um, the genetic dis- or the disorder that Denali has, which I can never remember the name. I know 22. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 22 cute deletion syndrome. Yeah. There you go. Um and things like that so that um, you can go to our website of betweennitsandpearls.com. And if you're uh, uh, wanting to look at things like what all of those things mean in more depth, but then also just uh, I'm going to link some some um, websites that I have found very helpful during my pregnancy journey as well. And uh, so I just want to encourage you guys to do that. So would you mind sending me a few links? Of that course. I can- yeah, I've got a few good websites I'll send to you. Awesome. So I know people have been banging on both of our phones doors (laughs) to get our attention. So I guess we should probably let things end here. But thank you, my friend. I I want you to know that I love you very dearly. And I'm so grateful that you are a part of my support network. You are so welcome, Emily. And the same goes for me. We've had a great friendship for a long time. And we definitely have loved each other through some significant things and will continue to do so. Very much so. All right. Give Denali and Kevin a kiss and a hug for me. I will. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. You All have right, a good you. day. Bye. You too. Bye. Contemplation Corner. Opening yourself up to a person takes a huge amount of courage and trust. Even if you think you know, you never really know how they will react or respond, and that will always be out of your control. In keeping them out, you keep out the risk of disappointment and pain. But in keeping them out, you keep out the chance of acceptance and love, too. In the end, you really have to decide if the risk or the chance is more important to you and act accordingly. Do Zantamata. Well, my friends, our time has come to a close yet again. Thank you so much for always being there, for um, encourage, the encouragement you give each other and to me, the love and support and just the honesty with which you show up for daily life challenges. I want to thank my good friend, Nancy, who was so brave to talk about such deep and personal uh, journeys in her life 
she, I, I hope you agree with me that she is one of the most amazing women on this earth. And um, like I mentioned, I will be having the, um, the links to the websites that she and I um, were not recommending. <laughs> I, it's hard to say. These are just websites that we go to uh, for our pregnancy journey, but also for information and things, but we're not saying, please take that as medical advice or, um, as the end all be all, um, of websites to go to. So just keep that in mind, but I am so grateful that she was, was here for us. Um, we kept on getting interrupted by phone calls on her end and phone calls on my end. And this was the first time I'd ever done an audio interview with my anchor app and it worked out well in the end it's just uh there's a few kinks I need to work out for the next time I do an interview which I I hope to have quite a few in the future but I hope you guys enjoyed and until next time remember to knit what you love and love what you knit ta-ta for now Mm -hmm.